0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Today is the sixth and final installment of the series with the real Jesus. Please stand up, where we've been moving through chapter five of this gospel that really zeroes in on the identity of Jesus. In a pretty crazy way. It's a lot of him talking, but the beginning, if you were with us, you recall, the beginning was Jesus healing a man who had not been able to walk for 38 years. And the real story, instead of being, wow, Jesus healed somebody, the story is all the religious types get upset over it. And then it leads to this long discourse from Jesus of, well, things that we need to know, but things we really, really need to know if we are overly religious. Now, I know for some of you who love Jesus, you've been in church for a long time, you're not sure what that even is. Because uh, we live in America, and particularly in California, we are comfortable telling you what we really think about God, what we really think about the Bible. It's, it's It's pretty brazen out there, and we can be pretty brazen ourselves. But we forget That human error can go on either side. and continually does throughout human history. It goes to one of two extremes. Uh, This very irreligious, which is actually a form of religion. This is the one we're kind of used to in California. But also the very highly religious. And this is what Jesus is bumping, bumping up against. All the seminary grads that think they know so much, and yet there's something broken in their hearts because they can't celebrate when God moves. Could you agree if you know lots of Bible verses, but then God heals somebody and you can't even be happy about it? There's something broken in your heart. What on earth is the point of a head filled with knowledge if your heart didn't come along for the ride? Somebody can walk who has never, hasn't been able to walk in 38 years, and I can't even feel joy over it. Because I've made rules upon God's rules, and I have decided that the guy in front of me just broke one of God's rules. Huh? You have rules against good things happening? There's something jacked up about your religion. Today, in the final installment, we're calling this, I'm calling this sermon The Clap and the Echo. You'll find out why as we go. So here's what the Apostle John wrote. Read with me, verses 41 through 47. This is Jesus speaking to the religious elite. Are you ready for this? Your approval means nothing to me. (laughs) Did you guys hear that? Did Jesus just say that out loud? Is this how you win friends and influence people? (laughs) These guys' entire life is about the masses around them thinking they're really holy and they're really good. And all the titles and the bowing down and the seat of honor at the synagogue when they go to church. Their whole life is built around the praise of men. And the religious teacher, who clearly has something going on, because, I don't know, he heals people. He teaches as one who has authority, not like the Pharisees and Sadducees. This guy, with some severe power, some authoritative teaching, goes... Actually, what you have to say about me is worthless. Can anybody feel disrespected when somebody tells you your voice contributed nothing? Like, you're just flapping your lips to make a breeze. Your opinion is worthless. Your thought is worthless. You have no wisdom. Um, Jesus, God the Father said this to Job. Who is this one who darkens counsel with his many words? That sounds a little fluffy, but he's saying to Job, the more you talk, the more you grab wisdom and drag her through the mud. That's what you're doing to wisdom as you talk, so you should probably shut up. And Jesus is saying to the most religious people in his culture, your approval means nothing to me. Whoa, okay, all right. That's not the nice Jesus I was taught to believe in in Sunday school. But, okay. Verse 42. Because... Oh, so he has a reason why. Because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. If you're new to church, name pretty much is synonymous for authority. Okay? Name and authority are are practically the same thing and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father, Moses will accuse you. This is their, so to a good Jewish boy, this is their superhero, okay? Maybe you grew up in the late 60s and, and you discovered, you know, you discovered a Babe Ruth rookie card or something in your, in your dad's shoebox or something. Wow! You know, the, the, the father of all baseball. Everybody wanted to have Moses' rookie card. Okay? Every good Jewish boy in the first century had Moses' rookie card. And if they didn't know how valuable it was, they at least had it stuck in the spokes of their bike when they went around the dusty roads running from Roman citizens from Roman soldiers, look it up, it's in there, Um, Moses was the hero of all heroes, Moses and Elijah, I mean Moses was the taller one, but like, just, those were the guys, okay, and he says Moses, symbolic of the law, the law itself, and all that God has declared, is going to accuse you, Uh uh-oh, Yes, Moses, in whom you have put your hopes, in other words, not Moses the person, but your obedience to Mosaic law. You've put your hope of being right with God in keeping the rules, and it's not going to work for you very well. You think you're holier than you are. Ouch. Ouch, right? If you really believed Moses... Now, did we, did we, yeah, see where we are? If you were here a few weeks ago, we didn't talk about believing in Jesus. We talked about believing Jesus. Do you trust the words that come out of his mouth? Same thing here with Moses. If you actually believed Moses, if you trusted what God said to you through Moses, then what? You would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote... How will you believe what I say? In other words, if you reject the prophets that God is sending you, and God sends another prophet, even a bigger and better one, your, your track record is of having a really high view of your own opinion and a very low view of God. A low view of what God says, what God has declared, what God commands. You have a really high view of yourself, and you've shown this over and over and over again. Um, in another gospel, Jesus says it this way. The man who owned the vineyard sent a servant to come and collect his share of the grapes. They assaulted him, and beat him, and let, sent him running. They sent somebody else to collect his share of the grapes. They murdered him. Like, at some point, he sent his own son saying, Surely they'll listen to my son. Right? God can, out of his love, he can ratchet up prophetic ministry to a rebellious people like you or me. But Jesus is saying right now to the religious grumpy types, No matter what I say. Or Jesus said it another way. So the man who was in hell, Lazarus is in hell, he says, I have four brothers, would you please go tell them about this horrible place so they don't have to come here? And Abraham says, if God sent them somebody back from the dead, they won't even believe. Why? Because they haven't believed Moses. They have not believed that one that God has already sent to proclaim truth. You think something bigger and better and shinier with fireworks behind it is going to get through to a dead heart, but a dead heart needs to be alive. It doesn't need more evidence. Holy Spirit, would you please make your powerful living word, it is sharper than a scalpel, make it effective in my soul and in the soul of everyone who is listening right now the soul of brothers and sisters and others seeking who would listen to this podcast later on lord jesus please change us because if you don't change us we wasted our time and yours In the beautiful name of jesus we ask for this mercy and god's people said amen, amen. all right some time of introspection and your first blank note takers is my behavior motivated you ready for your greek word of the day I know three Greek words. It's pretty much enough to go down to Opa-Opa and order lunch. But I learned a new one this week. Doksa. From which we get doxology and other things. And it's a very critical word in this text. Praise, honor, applause. Kavod, if you've heard that one before. The weightiness of honor from somebody. Is my behavior motivated by getting this from God? Do I want him to clap? At the end of my life, or do I need the praise of people? Some of you guys have—I uh, don't know if I want to say the word—complained. I've gotten feedback through the sermon feedback sheets before. Like, you talk a lot about social media, and I don't use social media, so I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so here's the deal: I have to disciple five generations at once, so I need you guys. Some of you to throw me a bone, okay? Your, even if you're not on social media, there are things that your children and your grandchildren are being eaten alive by it. Okay. There's just, that's the way that change operates. Okay. My dad could not protect me from online pornography in 1998 because we didn't know what the internet was. Does that make sense? As soon as we figure out that the world has changed, we have to figure out how to shepherd the flock through whatever change has occurred. Okay. And there is nothing I can talk about hardly that is more important than social media when I talk about doxa. Because social media is about how many likes I get from other people, how many hearts, how many comments. It is about the approval of men. It is a false religion. And I am not saying Facebook's evil, you should delete your account. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying Twitter is inherently evil. What I am saying is... It gives access to the approval of men the way somebody who is a former heroin addict says, I want to start a new ministry. What you going do? I'm going to go reach out to heroin addicts by hanging out with them at 2 a.m. on a Friday night. Like, mm, I don't know if that's the wisest decision for you because you're putting yourself in close proximity to something that has shown control over you. Maybe send somebody else to go run that ministry, right? Okay? Maybe send somebody else. It's a good thing, but like, maybe send somebody else. If you are a people pleaser, and more of us are than we think, there are a lot of ways to go after doxa of men. And doxa is a good thing, but we're supposed to get it from God. He's the only one who's lined up with reality. So let's talk about some sources of doxa. Parents, aunties, uncles, grandparents... When you're over here at Rush Park with your kiddos, I see some smiles. You're like, I know that slide. Your tax dollar's hard at work. Gabe's loved those slides. You're at the playground, and your child, niece, nephew, grandchild, says or done, does something rude. There are plenty of other parents around. There are plenty of other kids around. Gut check question. Are you ready? Is my response... To this child, my son, my granddaughter, my nephew, is my response right now about the honor and praise that Jesus would give. Am I interested at this point of Jesus saying, good job, grandma, you nailed it. Is that my chief concern right now? I think it's probably most for parents. Dad, good job. Am I concerned that Jesus is about to say, Even if he's speaking alone and no one agrees with him, is my parenting or grandparenting driven by getting praise from the one whose opinion matters? Or am I about to make my decision because there are other parents standing around? My parents are with me right now. Like there was that meme that went around a few years ago, this pie chart of the reasons you have to put on your coat There's like 7% of the reason you have to put on your coat before you go outside is so you don't catch something. Uh, 40% was because, well, it is pretty legitimate cold out here. And then this big piece of the pie was so the other parents don't judge me. If we are honest, how much of our parenting and grandparenting is driven by the doxa of human beings or by the shame or rejection of other human beings? What a terrible mother. Speaking of shame, here's the games. That's a four foot slide. Are you guys ready to go ahead and judge me that I let him go down that by himself? Um, I have a little dare, actually, I really have, I have two daredevils in the Kaiser household. But when they're not even 18 months old, it scares you a little more. Like, How many trips to the ER is this one gonna have by his fifth birthday? What's our response here? Right. Every single item on that playground is a parental judgment call as to whether he's ready for it or not. Does that make sense? Everything's a judgment call. You can't operate off of some generic sign of this is the appropriate age for this item, this is the appropriate. Every kid's different. And the manufacturer's just worried about getting sued. They're not worried about fun. Are you kidding? Dad has to single-handedly grab the banner called "Fun" and wave it, no matter what Mama says. And Mama's with the youth group this weekend, so she doesn't know. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding; she saw this. Um, and I'm not even convinced of the wisdom of this decision because half the time he gets to the bottom, he's on his tummy. By the time he gets, to the, I'm like, whatever. But you know I, I catch him. It's a judgment call every single item, and he's a little daredevil. He would. He yesterday, yeah, yesterday. For those of you who've been there, no, that, that blue cargo netting, I think we're training our kids for basic, because that looks like <laughs> You want them to join the army one day, because there are these gaps, five inches in his little feet, but he wanted to... So I just held him and let him pretend like he was doing it all himself. If that doesn't preach, I don't know what does. Every item on the playground is a judgment call, and there are other parents around watching... Am I going to raise my children for the opinions of those around me, their approval or disapproval? Or am I going to raise my children, I don't know, the single most important thing I can give my kids, that every moment of a Christian's life is hungering for and receiving what? The praise of my father. And there are two types of praise, you know this, right? Our Father loves un- us enough to give an add-a-boy and add-a-girl when we're lining ourselves up with righteousness and holiness. But also, more importantly than that, more foundational than that, He's already accepted you through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. He's accepted you before you were a colossal screw-up. I love my boy, no matter how he lands at the bottom of that slide. Right? It, it didn't occur to any of you that my love for Gabriel would be tied to how he, he'd land. And he sticks the landing, 8.6 from the Russian judge. Like, nobody was thinking that. Somebody was watching SNL in 2000, thank you. Um, nobody for a second was thinking my love for my son was tied to how he made it down the slide. If he falls and gets hurt, I love him. If he has a great time, just, I love right? him. Let's talk about some more Doxa. What about you're at work trying to make high quality paper for Dunder Mifflin Company? How much at work can rise and fall on the opinions of your coworkers? I got a few of you that are with me right now. Everybody's work situation, if you're retired and you're looking back 10 years, 30 years, or if you're in it right now, or you're, and let's also be honest, some of the worst work environments are the ones where you have to calculate every imaginable opinion around your decision instead of just doing the right thing. Anybody ever been at a job, you've been blessed enough to be at a job where genuinely in that culture, they just expect you to do right by the customer as best as you possibly can and they're gonna have your back. Right. That's so cool. I, I love that Nordstrom, their employee manual is one sentence on the back of a business card. It says, use good judgment at all times. That's their employee handbook. Huh. But w- what about, I don't know, what, if, what would happen if I needed to fudge the numbers just a little bit so that my boss hits his targets? And I know that he'll be happy. I know that he'll stand and he will applaud. He'll give doxa. What do I do? When I know that my king will give doxa for being honest, no matter what the price. We're really talking about lordship here. Whose applause am I going after? Or as I already shared, social media. I want to just say this, and then I'll move on. Social media, all those little responses at the bottom of your picture or your post, or the reshares. The only thing that it has for you is the praise of people. Mere mortals. Okay? There is no logo at the bottom of a social media post that only Jesus can press that button and so you know whether Jesus approves or not. There's no social media platform that has that. It's going to take a little bit of work. It does exist, but it's longer than 140 characters. You want to know whether the king of kings approves, gives praise and honor toward his child who's lined up his or her heart with the king's heart? You're going to have to open this and you're going to have to keep it open and learn to treasure it, learn to cherish it. I, I can tell you just anecdotally from my own life, I, I, have, I have posted things, and I don't mean like from my own wisdom, I just like heard something amazing on a podcast and I typed it into Facebook and, and hit send. I've typed unbelievably powerful and true things into Facebook and received Two likes. And then you you post some dumb picture of a kitty, and it's 70 likes. And I'm like, I'm sitting there going, we are going to have no excuses when God throws us into hell. We are screaming right now what we care about. We're making it so clear what we care about right now, what has kavod, what has weightiness or gravitas, in our hearts, entertainment is what matters. Here we are now, entertain us. Well, enough introspection. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus is not concerned with the approval of his enemies, the church needs to follow suit. And when I said church, it's capitalized for a reason. Local church, lowercase c, absolutely, totally. But I'm talking about the bride of Christ. Everybody who loves Jesus with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus made it abundantly clear that he's not going to be affected in any way by the approval of his enemies. Okay? As the uh, great prophetess to our culture, Taylor Swift, said, haters are going to hate, 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 hate. Okay? Jesus expects his enemies to to behave a certain way, to operate a certain way. And the reason I'm bringing this up, the second point, the church needs to follow suit. Those of you who are older than me and have have been in the church, you've seen this. Different denominations have spent the last 35, 40 years splitting down the middle, splitting into two denominations over whether or not the Bible's true. And it's happening. United Methodists are about to do it. It's so weird to listen to people describe what the conflict is about. Conflict is always the exact same thing. Is God the Lord over me, or am I the Lord over him? Every time. Getting rid of the authority of the Bible, that's just shooting the messenger. I just don't want God to be over me. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that ARCF need to become a bunch of religious jerks who are not aware of culture, because our calling is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ in a winsome way to our neighbors, co-workers, family, right? But our neighbors and co-workers and family and friends they will decide for themselves, that maybe it's you today, you will decide for yourself whether when I tell you about a crucified Savior, you decide whether that's foolishness to you or if that's the best news you've ever heard. You decide that. Okay? This isn't about Jesus saying, I don't care about people at all. He's saying, I don't care about the approval of people who've chosen to be God's enemies. If somebody has smelled the scent of the mercy of God. They've been told the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, and they say, I want nothing to do with it. That's not somebody who I'm following on Twitter. I'm not hiring them to be a consultant for how ARCF should manage our business. When I uh, was trying my darndest to plant a church in southeast Sacramento a few years ago, um, I put out this promotional piece, and... It was ridiculously ineffective. I got exactly one phone call. And it was a guy who wanted to meet up to have breakfast with me. To like, and his whole, it's crazy. His tone and his words were just like how friendly and wow, I'm glad you're coming to our part of the city and um, I want to help you succeed. Like, it sounded all benevolent. Um, but when it got right down to it, he just said, I, I, want, you to under, I want you to know that you're just going to thrive so much better if you're a welcoming church than if you're one of those dogmatic churches. You know, there are so many people in our city that aren't. So let me, let me translate that for you. I want you to preach that homosexuality is fine. No matter what the Bible says, no matter what church history says, no matter what logic says, the fact that Darwinian evolution doesn't even agree with homosexuality because you can't reproduce yourself, irrespective of logic, history, church history, doctrine, or the Jesus who died on a cross for me, I want you to go ahead, lick your fingers, stick it to the winds, and plant a church that our city will accept, that will never challenge them, never offer them a savior, never warn them of hell, The only call I got back was somebody who wanted me to start a country club. Jesus said, I cannot and will not build my church off of what the enemies of God think. We still love them, but we're not going to build this off of their opinion. Okay, So if that's you today, I need you to understand why on earth are there so many churches across the world right now, particularly in the Western world, they're dividing, and there are uh, obstinate punks like me that are still saying, no, this is true, your cool idea that floated in uh, proverbially three weeks ago and it'll float out three weeks from now, this stands the test of time, this is the most beautiful story some of us have ever heard, we're devoting our lives to it, we, when we choose a hard line about a God that we trust as a father to tell us how human flourishing works, it's not a matter of hating you. It's a matter of talking about a God who invented maleness, femaleness, sexuality, human, all kinds of human relationships. He, every part of life, it's a matter of trusting him with lordship instead of trusting myself and my feelings. That's actually what's going on here. So I'm saying this ARCF, I, I want us to be focused exactly like Jesus. You ready? Jesus didn't want the approval of people, he wanted their repentance. And this is the type of people ARCF must be. I don't need Citrus Heights to have lots of likes and shares over everything that ARCF puts out there for our Bible teaching. What we are hoping for is that people will worship Christ. And we know that a lot of people will say, no, thank you. We know that. That's been going on for 2,000 years. Some find Jesus beautiful. Others find him repulsive and leave. When we get to John 6, that's going to be abundantly clear. So our invitation is toward repentance. Uh, That's what we're all about. We are repenting. We're asking others. Did I put that in there? Oh yeah, so here's how I put it. ARCF must not pine for the approval of people. We need a people who works, we need to be a people who prays, we need to be a people who yearns for the repentance of our city, for the repentance of our dad, for the repentance of my sister, for the repentance of my co-worker, for the repentance of my child. We have to desperately desire it. If we don't desire it, we won't work for it, we won't pray for it. All right. Let's talk about others. When people brag about their own accomplishments, they are welcomed by those who reject Jesus. Did you see that, 43? Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. They come by their own authority. And Jesus was in a historical and religious context where there were plenty of false messiahs that did not have a voice thunder from heaven at their baptism saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Plenty of religious teachers had come along that did not have that. Now, here in 2020, California, if there's a booming voice, we will come up with a UFO theory so fast, like anything to let God be God. That's not. Gonna but in a devout Jewish culture, they, they believed in this stuff. They believe that God set fire to the top of a mountain and showed up and gave his law. Like, if anybody should have listened at Jesus' baptism, it would be devout Jews. And he says, you actually are more likely, all of you guys are more likely to trust these false messiahs, these David Koresh, these Jim Jones that come along. You'll buy their book and you'll retweet their content and you'll invite people to their meetings. But when I show up, you're not interested. I can't help but wondering if false messiahs just demand less than a real one. Can't help but wondering. Let's talk about false messiahs. If you're under the age of 20, Barnes and Noble is basically like Amazon, but it's a physical location where the books are actually on the shelf. Listen, I have five generations to preach to. I've got to bring the millennials along for the ride and Gen Z. This is called a bookstore. Call me a liar. Where's Borders? Where's Borders books? Gone. Walden? Gone? Yeah, uh-huh. I could go down the list. I'm just saying I'm an old soul. I liked the bookstores. And Amazon made them go away. Um, so, sad, sad tale. Toys, plus calendars, plus stationery, plus coffee. You ready? That's a larger section of the profit margin at Barnes and Noble now than books, toys, stationery, calendars, coffee. All right. I know you woke up this morning really wanting to know where the profit margins came. So this is the self-help section. Can I get a, can I get a witness right now? Please raise your hand and not off of opinion, not off your feeling, but if you've genuinely looked at it before, who will testify that the self-help section is the biggest section of a bookstore by volume. Okay. If you're a nerd like me, you've counted things like that. Because I'm an I'm a armchair psychologist, I'm an armchair, armchair sociologist, and I've wondered, and I was probably 20 the first time I did it. One, two, three, four. How many sections? Because the Christianity section, which is substantial, the Christianity section, I think it was four or five things wide, is you cannot help yourself, God's going to have to do this. Self help's the opposite. Self-help, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, right? Okay. How many authors are sitting on that shelf where the front of their book is just their beautiful face? As big, as as high depth as they can put it. They must have a better dentist than I have. Like the teeth are just, everything's on display. And I have this mantle of teaching for you. I have these four easy steps. This is how you're going to self-actualize the top of Maslow's Pyramid. Everything here is you have the power to make your life awesome. You're going to find fulfillment. It's going to be great. And I am the guru. I am the Sherpa who will take you up the mountain. I've been there. I have a four-hour work week Some of you are chuckling. That was one of the best-selling books of 2010? The four-hour work week? That's a thing. That's an actual thing. How much, hey, listen to me, hey, listen to me, hey, listen to me, is going on in our world? And how readily does our world drink it up? It's it's weird. I mean, the the afternoon talk shows, Oprah and Ellen, all of those. It's like the only rule is you can't say no. Somebody can come on with their really weird philosophy, different than the author who came on the show yesterday, and we all just kind of smile. oh, that's that's great, that's wonderful. Like this this generically affirming thing. So I'm going to paraphrase verse 44a for you. This is. In case case you're new to the United States, you probably know better than the rest of us. Or, don't ask the fish about the water. If you're an American and you've never thought about your own culture, I'm going to give it to you. Because it's paraphrased here in 44A, is what it sounds like. I'll endorse your lifestyle, you endorse mine, we'll leave God out of it. This is how we work. This here is... Hometown buffet. I know, some of you were hoping it was Golden Corral. American religion, faith, and philosophy look a lot like this right now. Except it's a weird, perverse sort of of a buffet. You walk in, and they give you a clean plate, and they say, you are allowed to take whatever you want. Here's what it sounds like. You do you. You do your thing. You're a snowflake. You're an individual. All roads lead to Rome. We can't tell you how to do it. So go ahead and take your clean plate, and and everybody gets whatever they want, but there's one dish at the end of the line that everybody has to take a scoop. Anybody ever been at a buffet where it had a rule that everybody had to try the macaroni and cheese at the end? You literally had to. You were forced to. Anybody been at a buffet like that? See, a buffet is built off of your choice. American culture has the illusion of choice, but in reality, there's one dish at the end that everybody has to take a scoop of. Are you ready? The last scoop is a little dish called I am not allowed to disagree with anybody else's buffet choices. That's the last dish. And if you refuse to put that on your plate, I'm not going to disagree in any way with everybody else's buffet choices, their lifestyle, their philosophy. If you don't put that on your plate, you're a hater. You're a bigot. You're backwoods hick. You have to have that on your plate. So, that item, that one dish, exposes the whole buffet for what it really is. It's not really a buffet. It's not really up to you. You can do whatever you want with your beliefs about God, the universe, humanity, is man inherently good, is man inherently bad, as long as you don't hold too tightly to any opinion that disagrees with what I choose. Okay? And I'm not bringing that up to complain about it. I'm bringing it up because my job is to train missionaries into our culture. And you need to know this if you don't already know it. Christians, there's no time. We, life's a vapor. We're all going to be gone faster than we think. There's no time for whining. I'm not here to whine that there's hypocrisy in American culture. Every culture's had hypocrisy. Every single one. We just need to know where Citrus Heights is. We need to know where Northern California is. We need to know where America is. You know why? They are our mission field. I was 20 years old when uh, Mark Ostriker, the head of youth specialties, he asked 3,000 youth workers, he said, if you heard of a tribe in some boondocks area of Africa, that if any time somebody said something true, they, they would paint their face blue and they would hop on one foot. And that's how the rest of the tribe knew that what they said was true. And if you go over there and you paint your face blue and you hop on one foot and share the gospel with them, they will believe it because that's how they embrace what's true. He asked the room of 3,000 youth workers, would you paint your face blue and hop on one foot if that village would come to Christ? And we of course go, yeah. And then he said, okay, so when are you going to learn how Americans receive truth? If you love Jesus Christ, ARCF, If you love Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, we have got to embrace our city and our state and our world as a calling, not as a home. This book is so abundantly clear that this is not our home. We will be gone faster than we think. If my king is not here, he's somewhere else. Like, this kingdom is inaugurated, but it's going to come in its fullness one day, right? If my king is somewhere else, that means this is not my home. If his reign is not yet fully complete, then that means that this is what? This is a foreign land, and I am an emissary with a message of peace. I don't believe Jesus because I don't value his approval. That's really the issue. Verse 44. No wonder you can't believe. Isn't that interesting? He didn't, he didn't even make it sound willful at that point. He didn't say, no wonder you won't believe. No wonder you can't. You can't believe. For you, uh, you, c- you gladly honor each other. You don't care about the honor of the one from whom, uh, who comes from one who alone is God. You can't believe. You only care about the praise of men. You don't care about the praise from God. No wonder you can't believe. So when I do not believe Jesus, when I totally disregard his claims about himself that he is the Savior of the world, it's because I do not care about the approval of the Father. I do not care about his approval. I just don't care what he thinks. Sounds a lot like a teenager, doesn't it? It's amazing the behavior that flows out of, I just don't care what you think. But when I deeply value somebody's doxa, I'll fall in line, won't I? The dirty little secret, brothers and sisters, a little bit more about American culture. The dirty little secret of rugged individualism is that it's a lie. And again, we see it with teenagers. Honey, why is that weird makeup on your face and why is your hair like that and why are your clothes like that? Because I want to be an individual. And they storm out the door to go to the bus. And, oh, she's dressed just like all of her other girlfriends. She wants to be an individual just like everyone right? We all have a tribe, whether we think we do or not. We care about the doxa of a certain tribe, and we will, our behavior will fall in line. This is why we have disciple groups. If you want to be influenced by people who are going to chase after Jesus, that's what we have those groups for. The rest of the world is ready to influence you toward every other thing. Go for it. But if you want to be a Christian, that's what those are for. If I value the praise that comes from God, if I value that, I'll believe Him. Wow. And you guys have it in your notes. Paul, early church father, saying the exact opposite. If I sought the approval of people, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. Galatians 1.10. What is the point of being a Christian if I am after the praise of people? That makes no sense. Or let me extrapolate. Being a Christian is a dumb idea if I am after the praise of people. That's just a bad way to go about it. Just is. Alright, last thing. Then we're going to pray. I'm going to highlight a couple of family announcements before we go. I want you to imagine that all the world is actually a stage. As Caesar Augustus said on his deathbed, have I played my part well? I wonder who he was asking. What if you're at the end of your life the curtain's about to close, and you're staring at this, and there's just one guy at the very back. You've sung the last note, you've delivered your last line, and he is at the back, standing up and cheering enthusiastically and clapping <laughs> all by himself. Bravo! Woo! And the awkwardness is palpable because no one else is clapping. And you peer through the lights that are in your face and you go, oh, that's Jesus. Is that enough for you? Is his approval enough for you? Lord Jesus, I confess a thousand sins in this area, Lord. God, I value praise from so many different individuals and groups other than you and i ask you to rearrange my heart jesus for those of you who of us who have not yet seen you for who you are take us to the place god where we have seen a pearl of great price that we would rush back to our regular life sell everything so that we could come and we could have you where the praise of one person even if the rest of the theater is echoing that that would be enough God we are so distracted by the people that we can see and we are spiritually numb and we are spiritually dull and we don't see your face God help us to see your face help us to believe that your opinion is the only one that will matter at the end God, take us to a place of holiness for the glory of your name. Make us a peculiar people. A people that stand out whether we want to or not. Marked by love. In the strong name of our Savior, we pray. God's people said, Amen.